How's the sound? Good. How's the sound? <laughs> Good. Thank you. It's wonderful to see everyone. Thank you for coming today. Excuse me. <clears throat> Thank you, Gail Mission, for the invitation to speak today. I got at this new pair of glasses not too long ago. And I'm going to take them off now. <laughs> <laughs> it had been a long time since I've had my eyes examined. And too long, actually. And I went to a new optometrist, new to me. And at the conclusion of the examination, she said, your eyesight has improved since your last uh, prescription. When did you get that prescription? And I said, I'd rather not talk about that. <laughs> she said, well, that, that's okay. It doesn't matter, but you, you, you're going to enjoy your new pair of glasses. I said, I know I am. And so thank you very much. So I went next door, which is where the optical shop was. And I walked in and there was a man standing there and he said, my name is Carlos and I'm here to help you. Would you can I help you now? And I said, well, can I look around? Here's my prescription. And he says, yeah, sure. Have you been here before? And I said, well, yeah, I have. When was it? Well, it was a while back. <laughs> and and um, he said, well, I'll go look up what we did for you the last time. So I walked around the shop looking at the frames, and I didn't really see anything I liked very well. And I, I did it pretty fast. And then when I, I got back to the place where I'd started, and Carlos was standing there with two pieces of paper. And he says, I, I got your old prescription. He says, your eyesight has improved. <laughs> and... Uh, I said, yeah, that's what the doctor said. And I said, do you, do you have uh, such and such a frame? Because I looked on their website. And he said, yeah, it's right here in this drawer. If you like that one, I'll find some other ones for you to look at. So I started my <clears throat> prying on the frames. And there was a lot of light in there. It was right up next to a big plate glass window storefront, really clean mirror. And I put the frames on and I looked in the mirror and, oh, <laughs> like, you ever have that? And look in the mirror and you see somebody, it's not quite what you hoped for. <laughs> it wasn't the frames either. So uh, I said, Carlos, um, all I see in this mirror is, is, you know, the frames are fine, but all I see in this mirror is this sort of out of shape looking, tired old boy. <laughs> Can you tell me something positive to cheer me up? And he said, well, your vision is really improved. <laughs> <laughs> well, all that was true, except it was edited because I, I had to change it up a little bit because... What happened was I found myself in the living in the middle of a Norm Macdonald joke. How many people know the comedy of Norm Macdonald? 
It, it's okay if you don't, because I just found out about him last night myself. That's another one of his lines. So Norm had this idealized form of a joke that he liked because it was nice and efficient and symmetrical. And that form of a joke is one like I just kind of told in which the setup and the punchline are the same. And uh, we we have we have that in in a number of Zen stories, that same form in a number of Zen stories, koans as well. And this this morning we chanted uh, Genjo Koan, and there's one in there where Zen Master Baucha of Mount Mayu was fanning himself, and the monk approached and said. If the nature is, of wind is permanent and there's nowhere it doesn't reach, why do you fan yourself? And the, the master said, although you understand that the nature of wind is permanent, you don't understand it reaching everywhere. And the monk said, what is the meaning of its reaching everywhere? And the monk kind of master kept fanning himself. Um, It's not quite as funny, <laughs> but but uh, there's some there's a similarity there that goes beyond just sort of the form of it, and this is a, a kind of teaching that brings to mind the the words of. Uh, Qingwan Weijing, a ninth century Chan master, who I believe was the originator of this, these words. Before studying Chan, mountains are mountains and waters are waters. While studying Chan, mountains are not mountains and waters are not waters after studying Chan, after awakening, mountains are mountains and waters are waters. So in that teaching and in the, the joke and in that particular koan, there's a statement of uh, a presentation of the state of affairs. And then there's this sort of event or cloud or turning words or bit of confusion or distraction or something. And then there's a representation repres of the original state of affairs, but it's been transformed. And so that kind of joke and that kind of con share that. Uh, that form, and not only the form, but sort of this transformation of mind or transformation of view. And, but, but they're different. So why are they different? I thought about that a lot. And I think, I think one of the major differences between them is to be found in Sangha. 
So and what I mean by that is, oops. What I mean by that is, it's about the audience. The audience for a joke might be anybody who speaks the language and has some kind of cultural currency understanding. The audience for the koan is a more. Somebody fixes the microphone. It's not good. It's good, but it needs to be fixed. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Thank you. So the audience for the koan is a higher percentage of people who might have taken the advice of Ehe Doginzindi, who suggested devoting our energies to a way that directly indicates the absolute. So, in other words, the audience for koans are largely composed of people who are, want to be open to the possibility that observe, observing events and observing words and teachings can lead to a transformation of their view of reality. And uh, some people are uncomfortable with that, and they don't want to. They don't want to do that. Some people are uncomfortable with cons, and sometimes I'm uncomfortable with cons. Um, and also, sometimes I find myself in a position of of. Um, offering suggestions to people about how, who might be uncomfortable about how to work with cons. And um, so what, what I like to say is that I like to concentrate on, on the Sangha aspect of the call. And that is to keep in mind that the activity within these stories is a is an interaction of of sangha members who are there who are there for each other, who are there to help each other, and uh, they love each other. And another thing I suggest is to to role play them, like find yourself in the midst of them somehow as one of the characters or or as an as an object that might be referred to and see how that feels shinshu roberts wrote a commentary of dogen zenji's being time and she offered a story as part of a commentary about learning about about Doan practice, thank you, Mr. Doan. <laughs> uh, she said she want, wanted to, really wanted to be Doan. And as she got into it, she found 
she found herself in the midst of some difficulty because she didn't want to make any mistakes. And she got really nervous and didn't. There was an aspect of it, even though she loved it, that she didn't like because she didn't want to be wrong or make a mistake or let somebody down or something like that. And she practiced with that for a while. And, and, and she said she finally realized that her abhorrence of making mistakes was her mistake. And so she realized that Doan practice is, is not about, it's not like an abstraction that can be some abstract that abstraction that can be perfected. It's a it's more of an interaction um, internally and with others. All the people in the sitting period, all the people in the service, um, the doshi, the kokyo, the fugado, the assembly, everyone involved is part of that practice. So that's another way that I like to, that's another thing I like to remember when I approach koans is that um, if I don't understand it or I, I'm baffled or whatever, uh, I try not to make the mistake of feeling like I'm making a mistake. So now, Having said all that, I want to tell. I want to do what we used to call in my family. I want, I'm going to tell one on myself. <laughs> and um, so, in November, uh, Mrs. Peaceful Forest and I were going up on a road trip to Baltimore, <laughs> and we set off in the morning, and we got to Lufkin by lunch, and we had lunch, and then we went. To She's a navigator, so she said, ooh, go down this road. I said, okay. So we're driving along, and I see a tractor and a trailer and a cow and a field and a couple of houses. And I said, this isn't, doesn't seem like the same road, uh, same kind of road. I mean, I, I know it's a different road, but we used to be on this super highway, and now we're on this two-lane blacktop. Are we going to get back on Highway 59? And she said, Carthage is on the way to Shreveport. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, part of, part of me was like, uh, recognize this as, as, as really good material. <laughs> but I, uh, the, the, the main part that was active at that point was not amused <laughs> and and you know it was kind of irritated actually uh, I, I know. and and somehow as a result of my my training i didn't i wasn't reactive about it i just accepted it and even though i was i was kind of grinding away and on it right I didn't hold it against her. I mean, uh, we get we get talk like that around our house sometimes. So, uh, but I was I was working with it, and I and I did a version of the rain method. I recognized the irritation. I accepted it. I 
investigated it and are not identified. <laughs> And maybe it wasn't quite that elaborate. Yes, maybe it was kind of like my shorthand version of that technique, which I call stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I did a slow burn for about an hour and a half, and then finally I forgot about it. And then until 10 days later when we came back, and we were on the same road, going the other way. And I started having this funny feeling when I saw the trailer and the tractor and the cow. And <laughs> so, oh. And then I thought, Carthage is on the way to Shreveport. <laughs> and Shreveport is on the way to Carthage. <laughs> This is the way. <laughs> this must be the way. And there was some liberation there. And I said, so, uh, Mrs. Peaceful Forest, when you said Carthage was on the way to Shreveport, were you trying to pull one on me? Was this a, some kind of koan thing? And she thought that was hilarious. <laughs> And I said, well, it was, it was a good one. Thank you. So the epilogue is that I, last month I had a chance to visit with Tenshin Roshi and I asked him about this, not about the, the, the sort of liberative aspect of it, the, 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 uh, you know, the awakening from that realization, but but I wanted to ask him about, about the practice because I'd really worked kind of hard on practicing with it. And, and I wasn't proud of myself because I had some kind of really, you know, it wasn't really serious, but it was kind of sarcastic, snarky comments that I was making in turn. And, and so I asked him about that and he said, well, uh, this is paraphrasing what he told me. He said, you got 67% of it. <laughs> and I what do you mean 67%? And he said, the compassion practice of a bodhisattva is effectively examined through the six perfections. And he told me that in his hearing of my story, that uh, he detected generosity and ethical discipline and patience and diligence. He said, I'm not too sure about the concentration and wisdom part. <laughs> However, it may have. It may be there. I don't know. I'm not sure. He was being generous with me. And uh, he said, also, just know that it might not be over. You may still, be, you may still need to practice with this a little while. So I did what 
the monk in the earlier koan did. I bowed deeply. It was an opportunity to uh, experience this kind of event in, in several different dimensions to which I'm very grateful. So I just wanted to share that with you all today.